All right, today I would like for us to continue on our discussion of the great high priest. If you will open your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 5, if you're using one of them in our pews, it could be a hardback, it could be 840. It's near the back of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 8. Before, while you're looking that up, last week we had begun this little short part as we talked about the book of Hebrews, about looking at the great high priest. The Bible talks about that, about Jesus being in heaven as our great high priest. We noted that from the passage we looked at last week that he was able to empathize with our weaknesses. And the Bible says that he was able to be, he was Uh, We do not have a high priest who was unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And last week we dealt with the issue of how Jesus was tempted. If you missed that, you can find that information and process online in the sermon to do. So uh, you can look there. I'd like for us to move on, and if you're in chapter 5, we're going to begin with the very first verse as we look at the next part. The next portion of what we mean by Jesus being our high priest, verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Note that. He is able to deal gently. The high priest is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weaknesses, the high priest. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And so did when Aaron on the Day of Atonement, he first offered a sacrifice, confessing his sins for himself before he went in and ministered to the people. And verse 4, and no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. And if you're familiar with how the Jews organized the priesthood, they had to be a Levite. And it was very important to them that they knew the lineage of who was going to be the priest. So you had to prove that you were direct descendant, you were part of the tribe of Levi, in order for you to serve as a priest. The priesthood was reserved strictly for the Levites. And the Levites were not given any territory. They were given the whole country in which to minister. They did not have a lot like we would find with Dan or what we find with Judah or what we would find with Zebulun. Those, those other ones, they just had, their, they were to minister everywhere. They were given places throughout the whole place. So Paul goes on and said, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son today, and I have become your father. And Paul's quoting from Psalm 2, verse 7. And he went on to say in another place, quoting again from the Psalms, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. There was the order of the Levites, that the Jews operate on, and then he's introducing to us the order of Melchizedek. Well, a good question is to ask, who is Melchizedek? What a name. Aren't you glad you're not called? Maybe they shortened it down to Mel. But Melchizedek, Melchizedek was a priest. 
Well, in order to find out more about that and why he is calling it that, we have to just go over a couple chapters and look in Hebrews chapter 7. So just, just hold it back there for just a little bit. Go over to Hebrews chapter 7. In verse 1, it says, This Melchizedek was the king of Salem and the priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham returning from defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth, gave him a tithe. He tithed his goods uh, of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also the king of Salem and the king of peace. They're all the same. When I was living in uh, pastoring in Salem, Oregon, I had followed Dwight Nelson there. And Dwight Nelson had given the church kind of this logo, which said, kind of this phrase, it said, um, that we are uh, proclaiming the Prince of Peace to the City of Peace, meaning of Salem, Oregon. And so I thought, you yeah, know, that's good. So I used it too. I stole, stole it from him. And I continue to use that theme because it is true. The Prince of Peace, the Prince of Salem, Salem, the King of Salem, the Prince of Peace, uh, was there all tied up, which has overtones of Christ. Without father or mother, he goes on, without father or mother, without genealogy, without the beginning of days or the end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. This is a most interesting thing to note. So we have to follow this. If you follow this closely. So he was a priest of the Most High God. That's what the Bible says. And Abraham recognizes. This is before there are any Levites, you see. There are no Levites then. That came hundreds of years later. So here is, here is Melchizedek, and he is the priest, and he's the priest of the Most High God, and Abraham now pays his tithe to him, gives his tithe, gives his gifts to him. And then besides giving his gifts to him, he has no father or mother. Now, how could that be? How could it be that he has no father or mother? Now, you have to follow this carefully. The reason he has no father or mother, or he also says no beginning or ending to that, is because he is not part of the Levite tribe. See? His mother, his father, his heritage had nothing to do. See, the Jews were very careful to make sure they tracked exactly what tribe. Not only because you were priests, but it also meant your property and ownership. So you had to be in the line of the tribe for the property that you were eventually going to get. So he was a priest. So it's not saying that Melchizedek had no father and mother. It's saying he had no lineage that we would follow as being part of the priesthood. Therefore, he was not a Levite. So the same, same beginning end because we have no record of his birth or death. We have no record of that. So, so we know that he was not a Levite. So now we have several things that are lined up here with it. And the Bible says that he was a priest. He remains a priest forever. He has that robe. So this illustration of using Melchizedek, Paul is trying to share with us something about Christ. He's using that Melchizedek. He's in the order of Melchizedek as a high priest. How is it that it is like Christ? Which is a good question. Because we know when Jesus was birth and his death. Well, we don't know the exact date of his birth. We celebrate December 25, which actually came out of paganism, did not come out of Jesus' actual birthday. 
when he was burned, burned. And Ellen White makes a comment that he was, that was careful that we hid Jesus' birth so he wouldn't do that. So there is the birth of Christ. We know that. And we know that Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah. Not a Levite. Not a Levite. Therefore, during the days of Jesus' life on earth. Now, you have to watch this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. What in the world is he talking about? That he he offered up prayers. Well, he's talking about Jesus' agony uh, in Gethsemane. Sorry, this doesn't show up very well. The light, too much light in here. But he's in Gethsemane where he agonized. He agonized. Remember, he asked, Lord, let this cup pass from me if it's thy will. Let me off. In fervent prayers in Christ, you, Father, can take this. You can say, it's all right. You don't have to die. We're going to let you out. That's all right. We'll just wipe out these people. And that would be over. But he goes on, son, the son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now that's a difficult thing to grasp your mind around. Jesus never sinned. Well, why would he need to learn obedience? Why would he need to learn that particular thing? Why would that happen? Verse 8 says, and being found in appearance. Excuse me, I'm looking. At, if you're not familiar with Philippians 2 chapter, it is amazing that chapter. It's a wonderful thing. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death. Even the death on the cross, that's how he became obedient. Well, back in verse 9 in Hebrews 5, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so Melchizedek. Remember, we were looking at Melchizedek. He was a priest of the Most High God. Abraham paid his tithe to him. No father or mother, no beginning or end, not a Levite. Remember that same type thing with it given to you. With Christ we have, Christ was the hope, uh, priest of the Most High God. We pay our tithe to him. No father or mother, meaning he was not Levites. He was no beginning or end. There is no beginning or end to Christ. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, he said. And he was not a Levite. Same type of thing, same type of process. So we see the connection that Paul is trying to draw between Melchizedek's priesthood and Christ's priesthood, saying this is what qualifies Christ to be the high priest in heaven. This is why he is a high priest, even though he's not a Levite, even though he's not his heritage, even though we don't know his mother and father, as it were. It was from the beginning, he's always been, and now he is doing something in heaven. What is Jesus doing now? What is happening? What is he doing now? And there are two points that we need to consider. Two points. One of them is that Jesus developed like we do. Now, this may be 
interesting for you. When I was a child, when I was a child, I'll never forget my mom and dad bought for me a bicycle. I was about five, and they thought, I'm old enough to have a bicycle. So I had a little red bicycle, and my little red bicycle had no training wheels because they didn't have training wheels in those days. This is lucky they had tires. Uh, it was so long ago. But they, anyway, they had, they had uh, no training wheels at that time. And so I'll never forget, as I'm learning to ride my bike, my dad running beside, behind me, holding on to the back seat and to make sure I didn't tip over as I was learning to balance on my bike. And sure enough, after a few times up and down, I was on my own, and I'd get too slow, and then I would crash. Over I would go. Has anybody had an experience like that? Anybody? Ever, oh, well, you all have, because you've, those of you who have ridden bikes know exactly what I'm talking about. And therefore, now follow this. Because you crashed, did you sin? Was crashing a sin? No, he would say, no, it's not a sin. But after practice, you developed a way of learning how to keep the bike upright. You were then obeying, watch this, obeying the laws of physics about how to balance on a bicycle and eventually you became obedient to those laws and now you ride and you don't think anything about it. So, so once you learn to ride a bike, you always have it, right? Once you learn to ride a bike, you can, you know, you get on, doesn't matter where you go. Learn to balance that out. I'm quite fascinated when I see um, David out here with his, with his uh, unicycle and he's out here and he's got a motorized one. Have you seen that one? One wheel. And he zips all over everywhere. And I said, that must be hard. And they said, well, once you kind of get it, you got it. But, you know, you have to kind of learn how to make it go and make it right. You see, and if he fell off, it wasn't that he sinned. So in the same way, Jesus had to learn about life. He learned about life. He didn't grow up immediately as soon as he was born. I know how to talk, I know how to ride bikes, I know how to do all those kind of things. It was a progressive learning that Jesus did as a human. Now, he also, in that experience, point number two, also in that experience, he learned of our problems by experience because he saw them. Not that he committed sin, but he could see what our problems were and the suffering that went with them and talking with people. Of course, he would recognize that, wouldn't he? He's walking as a human being. He's walking along with them. He's talking about them. People are sharing their problems. They're sharing their troubles. They're sharing their things, life. And so he learns about the experience of others because of his walk with them. This is important. That's how he could become our high priest. Knowing our difficulties and our struggles and the things that happen with us, Jesus was able, Jesus was able to understand and to empathize with us because our high priest belongs to the human family. 
He belongs to us. Now we might ask, why is that important? Why is it important that he belong to us? You see, Satan's challenge was to Adam, and Adam failed. Humans failed. And so when Jesus became a human and lived his life, the second Adam that's talked about, he was able to identify with us, yet without sin. He was able to go. But I'd like you to note this little snippet that I took out of the SCA Bible commentary. I thought it said it so nice and succinct. Please follow this as you look at this. The Christian world, in general, is acquainted with Christ as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. We recognize that. They recognize that. It is acquainted with Christ as the crucified one who gives himself for us that we might be saved. And most of the Christian world looks at that experience, looks at that part. We look back towards the cross. It was all done at the cross. Christ, And that's true. He secured our salvation at the cross. Five to away. And most of them then forget about what Jesus is doing now. So he, cross is incredibly important. We don't deny that. We think that's incredibly important. Don't take it down one little. But, he goes on to say, but not all Christians are acquainted with Christ as the high priest who ministers his blood in the sanctuary above. Yet without the ministry, the plan of salvation would be ineffective. In the institution of the Passover in Egypt, God commanded the Israelites not simply to slay the lamb, but to put its blood on the doorpost. Remember that? Familiar with that story? So that when the Passover angel came, they had the blood on the doorpost, reaching out in faith that they would be saved by the blood. See? Blood. So... So so in the antitype of the blood of Christ, our Passover is not simply shed. It's not simply shed. It is ministered for us in heaven above by our great high priest as a vital part of God's plan to save us. So... Not that Jesus is holding bowls of blood in heaven. He made his sacrifice once. But the offering come up when we ask for forgiveness of our sins. Christ, our great high priest, stands in our stead. And when we said, well, I ask you forgiveness of sins, how can I do that? Because I paid with my own blood for this person, for you, for me. 
Christ's blood sacrifice happens when we repent. We, we get that cleansing from sin when we repent from our sins. And the forgiveness of sins comes made anew. It's made fresh again. When Jesus says, my blood is sufficient for you. So there's an active role that our high priest is taking in dealing with the sins that we commit today. Yes, we look back at the cross that they were cleansed, but it, the, active, the active role of Christ. And I believe in doing that, it shares with us the Christ that he was crucified anew, as it were, in that remembering that our sins cost something. And seeking forgiveness. And it was the blood of Christ, the shedding of his blood, his death, that provided for us an opening way. Now, every once in a while, I ask uh, Andressa if she will sing the song, Oh, the Blood. I love to hear her sing, but I love to hear her sing that song in particular. And the words you talk about focus on, oh, the blood, the blessed blood of the Lamb. Oh, that blood, that precious, that flowed, that secured for me and got me forgiveness and cleansing. And so Christ ministers in the heavenly sanctuary today to take care of our sin problem today, to bring forgiveness for us today, and is active in forgiving us Therefore, he ministers to us, as she says, the benefit of his sacrifice. He, the benefits that have come from his sacrifice are given to us each day. And therefore, we are saved by his blood today. And how precious, precious that is. Oh, the precious blood of the Lamb. To think that the Lord of glory that God gave to us, he offered to himself his son, and then he gave up on the cross and died to save us. It's that offering, that giving of that friendship to us, who is acquainted with us, who loves us so much that he would do that for us, that brings joy to our hearts. Sober, but joy. Joy. HMS Richards, old HMS Richards, tells the story of, of a time when he was a boy growing up and he was constantly fighting and picking on his sister. Constantly doing that when he was growing up. And his mother talked to him, she scolded him, she, didn't, she even spanked him for it to try to, and he just wouldn't quit. Just wouldn't quit. Kept going, picking on his sister over and over and over again. Finally, his mother had had enough. And she said, she said to uh, Richard, Harold, I mean, Harold, come. She said, Harold, I want you to go out and I want you to get a, sw a switch off the tree. I want you to go get that and bring it in. And he said, why? He said, well, evidently I have not been a good mother. And so you are going to you are going to have to uh, punish me for not being a good mother because you are not obeying. Pretty sober moment as Harold went out to the backyard and he 
cut a switch. A short one. And brought it back in and showed his mother this little twig. And his mother said, no, that won't, that won't work. That won't work. You need to go out and get a long one. So he went out. He cut one. Took him a long time. Finally came back into the house. He's looking at the ground. And his mother, she undid the back of her dress and she bared her back to him and she said to him, All right, Harold. You can begin. And Harold broke into tears and began to cry. And he grabbed his mother and he said, I'm so sorry, mother. I'm so sorry I cannot do that. I'm so sorry, mother. It changed his whole view looking at what it cost, the cost. And he never did that with his mother again, with his sister again. Cost of that. The way we stop sinning, the way we go is to realize the cost. The cost of our sinning. And to realize how welcome and how loving our Savior is to be able to say, I know, I went and paid for you. And I'm going to get your forgiveness. And you will be cleansed by my blood. And the record will be expunged. And it will be as if you never had sinned before. That's why we have a high priest. Dear Lord, I thank you for that beautiful imagery of you on the cross that saved us but that you took your blood and offered up today for us. And may we realize the cost of our sinning that it put you on the cross and you paid for it because you loved us and you want us with you. We thank you, precious Lord, for understanding, for loving and caring for us so much that you would do that to secure for us forgiveness and eternal life. All praise to you in your name. Amen.